0: How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to Gotomeeting.com slash tips. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman, With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer, and we have a really fun episode on tap for you guys today. We have been uh, planning it for about a week now, so hopefully we've had enough time to prepare. This is going to be our trivia episode. We've both prepared questions for each other uh, in three different categories. Prashant, how are you feeling about uh, the competition to come?
1: Well, uh given that I've got 5 years on you by age and can maybe remember the late 90s a little bit better. I've got a little bit of confidence. I feel like I got a little bit of an edge here, but you know, we'll, we'll see uh what you've dug out, Max.
0: Yeah, I was worried about that the whole way. I was thinking the whole time about how many times I've had to ask you on the air. Who someone was that we were talking about or what the <laughs> significance of them was. So I did a lot of research though. I spent, uh, I had a day off yesterday and I spent a good amount of it working on these questions because, uh, I really do love to win. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that there's something good in my favor here.
1: All right. Well, uh, you know, you took the day off to prepare. I worked until 10 PM. So let's see what happens.
0: Yeah. I would say, I mean, look, I have to have some advantage here. Like, you know, it's just the way it's good. I I need to balance the scale somehow, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, that'll uh, maybe make up for the five-year age difference. Then, so uh, let's see what that's you right. got. All
0: right. Uh, so the first category we're going to do is the draft. Uh, do you want to ask first or answer first?
1: Uh, you know, I think I'll ask you first, and I think just okay. to lay it out so everyone knows how we're going to score this here to make sure Max doesn't cheat at the end after uh, everything is all said and done. So every every question's I'm not worth, above it. Yeah, you know, every question's worth one point. Um, what we've decided is some of the questions we've created for each other have multiple answers. And so if someone were to get all of the answers correct, they would get two points. If they get a partial answer, they still get one point. And then prior to the start of a category, so we've, uh, we've created three categories here. We've got the draft, who am I, and we've got championship teams prior to the start of a category. Uh, either Max or I can call that we want to double the point value for all of the answers, uh, meaning that we will get twice as much for everything in that category. However, we do have to call it before the category starts. So I guess with that being said, Max, I'm happy to uh, ask first, but would you like to double on the draft? Uh,
0: that is the category I would like to double on. And I would like to propose one other rule here before we actually begin so one of my questions, like the first question I have, is going to ask you to name six of something, um, and I would like to make it so that when you have something like that, any any that's over four, can we get one wrong answer we're allowed to give in the set? So like if I ask you to give six answers, you can get one wrong. You basically get seven chances to name six, kind of thing.
1: All right, I'll uh, I'll allow it.
0: Okay, cool. All right, then yes, I will answer first, and I will. All double. right.
1: All right, Max is doubling. So, you know, I I started to go at this in sort of a Jeopardy format where there's a little bit of an escalating difficulty. Again, it felt like, you know, I wanted you to get a little bit of momentum here. So here's, here's the nice softball that I've come up with. So uh, the last time the Red Wings selected in the top five, who did they draft?
0: The last time they selected in the top five, they drafted Keith Primo.
1: That is correct. Nineteen ninety, third overall.
0: Excellent. One point.
1: All right. Well, two points for you, right? You doubled up.
0: Oh, yes. Let's go.
1: All right. You're off to a good start. So you want me to move on to my next question here then? Yes. All right. Well, uh, so the first round picks here, they get all the hype. So who's the last player the Red Wings drafted in the seventh round that actually made it to the NHL?
0: The seventh round. Okay, so yeah. N was the fourth or the fifth. Uh Nyquist, Ethanisiu, same range. Uh The seventh round. Boy. Was it Henrik Soderberg?
1: It was not. It was Alexei Marchenko, defenseman oh, okay. out of Russia. Took him in right. 2011 at 205th overall. Serviceable defenseman, but... Not Henrik Zetterberg. He, I think he would have been next if he went further back. So,
0: Marchenko is in my uh, my Red Wings blind spot, where I have like a window there in the early 2010s, where I was not paying any attention to them.
1: Max, I would like you to know that I specifically catered my questions to the early 2010s <laughs> to make sure I maintained my advantage here. All right. All right, so then question three, escalating in some difficulty here. So with Yaroslav Askarov potentially going in the top 10 this year, yep. who is the only goaltender the Red Wings have taken in the top 10 in their draft?
0: I have this as a question, too. It's Jim Rutherford.
1: It is Jim Rutherford. In 1969, the Wings took him 10th overall. It's a fun little question. Has Jim Rutherford still been GMing his way around the NHL here?
0: All right. I'll have to change mine on the fly. <laughs> That's
1: fair. Uh, it's nice. I got to knock out one of your questions. I gave you two points though. Yep. All right. So next up in uh wording, uh, carefully here, this is a multi-part answer. So the Red Wings have drafted five players who have gone on to play more than 1,000 games for the Red Wings. Mm. Name those five players.
0: Nicholas Lidstrom, Steve Eiserman. Okay. Sillinger didn't do it for the Red Wings. Fedorov, I don't think got to a thousand for the Red Wings. I think he was still in the nine hundreds. Zetterberg got to a thousand, I believe.
1: Are You locking that one in, or you you're you're thinking about it?
0: He might not have. No, he did. He didn't get to a thousand points, but he got to a thousand games, right? Yes, I'm locking that in. Okay. <sighs> And games. This is really hard. Um, well, I told you they were going
1: to escalate in difficulty. I had to give you a couple softies in there.
0: It feels like Datsuk would not be a correct answer because he left early, but I can't resist guessing him because he did have like you know he played at least like twelve seasons. That's theoretically close to enough. I'll say Datsuk. Even that is I think it's incorrect. Goal. Nick Cronwall.
1: That is also incorrect. Fuck. And you are. Alright, so I'm not out.
0: getting it. I'm getting the partial answer either way.
1: So, Chris Draper, one thousand one hundred Did not, was not drafted played. by the Red or, Wings. Sorry, not Draper. Um Thomas Holmstrom is the other one. Okay, so, sorry. Yeah, that's a good one. Four, not five. Yep. So Thomas Holmstrom. So you will get your partial point here. Going yep.
0: Alright. So, so who did I get right?
1: You got uh, Nick Lichlund, Steve Eisenman, Eisenman, and Henrik Zetterberg. Yep. Datsu played, I believe, 958 games, so oh, he was just shy. Man. Nick Cronwell was also just shy. Um, but Thomas Holmstrom is the fourth one in there at 1,026 games played. So,
0: All right. That's a good question. All right, I'll take my so, partial credit.
1: All right, well, here's another one. That was one a big opportunity.
0: Get... That, that would have been a four-pointer.
1: That would have been. You had the shot there. You had the shot. All right, so here's the last question for you. It's also a multi-part question here. So the Red Wings have drafted five players, 200th or later, who have gone on to play more than 400 games played. Mm -hmm. Name those players.
0: Datsuk and Zetterberg.
1: Incorrect on Datsuk. He was not 200th or later.
0: When is 200? I guess that's the 7th round, huh?
1: That is the 7th round. So that's 6th round. All right. So Jonathan Erickson and Henrik Zetterberg.
0: Oh, shit. There was someone who they took in like the 8th round. Uh, was Konstantinov that late?
1: Are you asking me or are you telling me? This is my favorite question that's, for my I'm learners.
0: Sub- I'm submitting a guess.
1: All right. So Konstantinov, 221st.
0: Okay. Excellent two hundreds did i say jonathan erickson
1: you already said jonathan erickson
0: so i've got three of them
1: you've got three
0: i need one more two more two more
1: that might be all i got all right well uh I'll, uh, pass along to Thomas Holmstrom that you really disrespect him because he was 257. So back to back questions He was drafted rest- higher.
0: I just thought he was drafted higher. That's not disrespecting him.
1: 257th. And then the one I knew you were. Was he the today, eighth round guy? He was 10th. So okay. back in, uh, back in the day when you had more than, uh, seven rounds as we've got now, Thomas Holmstrom went 10th round, 257th overall in 1994. And then last but not least is Dan McGillis, who went 238th in 1992. So I believe he's your eighth round guy that you were thinking about. So
0: close yeah. enough. All right. Well, I'll take the two points there. I think I end that round with, what, eight? I think so.
1: Eight sounds about right. You got two for uh, for Primo. You missed on Marchenko. You got two for Rutherford. You got two for... Uh, um, the five players with more than a thousand gameplay and then two for uh, getting a partial answer rate on this last one. So eight points, not a bad
0: round. Yep. I can deal with that. All right. So I guess, uh, tables are turned back on me here. Yep. You want to double or you want to, uh, just play this one out?
1: I'm going to play this one out.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, we'll start. I think this one does start fairly easy. Um, the Red Wings' 1989 draft class is widely regarded as the greatest in NHL history with two Hall of Famers headlining a class that saw six players log at least 400 NHL games. Name them. The six. Uh,
1: the six players. All right. So you've got Fedorov. You've got Lidstrom. You've got Mike Sillinger. You've got, um, let me see here. Oh, I always forget this grinder that somehow managed to make it. Uh, Dallas Drake. Um,
0: yep. that's the tough right. one.
1: That's the one I always remember. Now I got to remember the others here. Um, 1989. Let's see. And you said it was, uh, 600 games played.
0: 400.
1: 400 games played. Konstantinov was 1989. So that's,
0: that's right. five. Yeah. Two more guesses. To get the last one.
1: Let's see here. I am blanking on the last one. Yeah. I calling am tapping out. Yep, I'm calling it. Bob Bugner. Yeah, that's that's the one I was trying to think of when I was thinking of Dallas Drake. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'll take Bugner my... drafted I'll above Lipstrom and Fedorov. Yes. That's also important to know that Bob Bugner went above those guys.
0: All right. Um, how many times... Have the Red Wings picked – well, we can do this one of two ways. I'll I'll either give it to you the one-point answer option, which is how many times have the Red Wings picked in the top four in the history of the draft. Or you can opt to name half of the players selected in those top four spots, which would be a two-point answer, but obviously a more difficult question.
1: Ooh, let's see. Um, Well, let's go for for name half the players selected – in this the top call, you said top four.
0: Yep, because that's the floor of where they can pick this year. Was my right. my so, news pick uh, to that?
1: All right. Well, let's see. Let's do these in, in order if I can. So, 1990 is Keith Primo. Correct. Then 1983 is Steve Iserman. Correct. Um, let's see how far back I can go here. Um. Draft starts in nineteen sixty three.
0: I don't know. There's, there's one there. of these that I had no idea, and like it blew my mind.
1: These might be the only two that I can think of off the top of my head. Here,
0: there's a pretty famous one where. Um, well, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a pretty famous one where. Uh, no, I think these are uh, the only. Who I've got unless Adam Oates is one, but I don't think he is.
0: Oates is not. Uh, Joe Murphy and Dale McCourt were both number one overalls. Joe Murphy I should have got. Pete Mahavlich. All right. Claude Gauthier. Fred Williams. George Forgy. Mike Foligno. And the one that I had no idea about, Marcel Dion. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I actually forget that Dion went – what was he? Was he third or is he fourth?
0: He might have been first. Uh – Number two overall,
1: 1971. Two. All right. So, yeah. all right. Well, at least by going that route, I get a partial point there, yeah. right? Yep. You get all a point, right.
0: yep. All right. I'll take it. All right. Um, so, you you got the – you knocked this one out when you asked it to me. What is the next highest pick after 10th overall that the Red Wings have selected a goalie? So, Jim Rutherford went 10th overall. What's the next highest pick? Now, I know you love your your goalie drafting.
1: I want to say it's it's 24th, maybe?
0: I thought that was the answer. I remember that pick as well. But the answer is actually 11th overall. They drafted Terry Richardson in
1: 1973. There's another goalie that they take in the 60s that was technically the fourth round that was like in the 20s. And then more recently, the one I almost asked you was was Tom McCollum in 2008 at 30th overall. Yep. That's the one the wings won't live down. But, all right. No, I thought thought it
0: was 24th as well, but it is 11th.
1: Swing and a miss. All right. Max, you you brought your A game on these.
0: I mean, it would have been easier for you if you hadn't asked me the same question.
1: That is true. That is true. I could have gone to a backup there.
0: All right. Here's one of my favorite questions. Um, and I, I think, I mean, you'll, you'll get part of it. You'll get partial for sure. But five current, uh, sorry. Yes. Five current members of the Red Wings NHL hockey operations department were drafted by the franchise as players. Name them. You get six guesses and hockey ops would include executives, coaches, and scouts.
1: Okay. So Steve Eiserman, Correct. Uh, partial. <laughs> um, Yuri Fisher correct uh let's see Multi was edmonton draper was win or was uh, yeah it was winnipeg um let's see here i believe debilano was back in the day right
0: mm, i don't think he was ever drafted oh that's right. right he, he, pre- draft,
1: he would yeah. have predated the draft um let's see here i think that might be Let's see. You said there were six. You got six. more.
0: You got more in you. There's five. You get You get six guesses. You got more in you. I know you do. I mean, Nick
1: Nick Cronwell, technically, right. I don't know if he counts. Yes. Or I mean, Lichstrom yeah. obviously does stuff in Europe, too, for the organization, although I don't know that he's a former I don't have position. him in the hockey ops department. Okay. But you got two more. Say. These are the
0: hard two. But one of them, if you're watching the games, you're seeing him. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I got him. I don't know. All right. Doug Huda in the second round in 1984. Now an assistant right. coach. Defenseman, and yeah. Jesse Walline, who was newly hired chief scout for the Red Wings, right. was a first-round yes. pick in 96.
1: I remember Jesse Walline quite well. Uh, yep. Completely forgot that he was brought back as a scout. So, all right. Yep. Good questions, go. Max. Those are some challenging ones.
0: All right, and here is a riddle. Because <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't uh, help yourself. That's right. Uh One of the Red Wings' late-round draft picks in 1990 never made the NHL but still managed to take the ice for more than a 1,000 games. Who was he?
1: You said it was specifically 1990?
0: Yes, but don't Google it.
1: I mean, I'm not Googling it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. 1990 never managed to play a game, you said, but managed he to He never made a- the
0: NHL but was – but took the ice for 1,000 NHL games.
1: Well, that's a fun riddle. I mean, I guess I would have for for 1,000 NHL games, you yes. said. Huh. Uh, you know, I don't know. 1990. Couldn't tell you.
0: He went to Michigan State. He was a defenseman. All right. Are you going. Said... Oh, Sorry, say... go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs>
1: I don't know. You got me beat here, Max.
0: You don't want to try and work it out. I don't know that I could. How would someone take the ice for a thousand NHL games without playing in the NHL?
1: I mean, unless you're going for a Zamboni driver, right?
0: Nope. You're close. <laughs> yeah, and I, I got nothing. It's Wes McCauley, the referee. It was a eighth round pick of the Red Wings in 1990. The referee. Huh.
1: So, Max, you really went all out. That day off really helped <laughs> you here. I was thinking, I was like, alright, I need to like make this, you know, relatively straightforward for Max, and now I'm thinking I might have to like reach into the bag of tricks.
0: So that was one where when I wrote it, I was like, I probably think this is the most clever shit, and I'm gonna ask it, and he's gonna be like, yeah, Wes McCauley, everyone knows that. He talked about <laughs> it on broadcasts for like the first 15 years of his career or something like that. that. You know, to
1: be quite honest, I don't remember them bringing that up on broadcast in a while, cause I don't know that, you know, he's refed a ton of Wings games. Right. Uh, at least recently, so I, you know, it's the memory fades as you get older here. I guess I'm losing it in my old age.
0: So the hint I almost gave was, uh, what if I said he would, he is known to award players five minutes for fighting? Yeah, that might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's him, right? He's the one who does the really theatrical <laughs> yeah, calls. Yeah,
1: really theatrical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. All right. Um, moving on Where to the to championship teams round.
1: All right. So, championship teams. So, these are all questions relating to players uh, or specific teams that have won a championship for the Detroit Red Wings. So, let's start with question one a nice softball. A playoff run was destined to end in the Stanley Cup if I scored a goal from center ice. Because it happened twice. Name the player and the instances.
0: Well, it's not Ducky Hamilton.
1: Read the question again. So a playoff run was destined to end in a Stanley Cup if I scored a goal from center ice during the playoff run because it happened twice. Name the player and name the situations.
0: Jesus. Jesus. This is the I softball, by at, the way. I don't know this at all. Um, is it Iserman? Didn't he have like a really long distance goal against the Blues or something like that?
1: That was right outside the blue line. And that won oh, game okay. seven, 1996. Uh, what oh, Semifinals. So that was not a Stanley Cup winning All team. right.
0: I'll take the L. All
1: right. It's Nick Litstrom. And it's okay. 2002, game three versus Vancouver. The Wings were down 2-0 in that series, and Nick Lidstrom scores from center ice on Dan Cloutier, and the Wings win the next four games. Wow. And then it's 2008 versus Nashville. Lidstrom actually scores from his own blue line on Dan Ellis when the series was tied 2-2 in Nashville. Uh, and actually, actually, I believe this one's game six, so this is actually. Um, the game where the Wings defeated the Predators.
0: So I should have known that that was in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, Nick from scores from center ice. The Wings are going to win the Stanley Cup. Happens All right. twice. All right, Max. So oh. here's another one that you should know from your your extensive research, which it sounds like you, you did on your day off here. <laughs> so question two is another multi-parter. In 2001, 2002, the Red Wings were sometimes carried by the Two Kids in an Old Goat line. Name the members of this line.
0: Fuck, I should know this too. Well, one of them's gotta be Datsuk. Is that an answer? Um, No, it's not. (laughs) I'm just working this out in my head. (laughs) Who would be the Old Goat in 2002?
1: You've got about 13 to choose from.
0: Yeah. I want to say it would be Larry Anov. He seems very, like, the perfect player to play young players with. I don't think Zetterberg dressed in the 2002 Stanley Cup. I think he signed and was brought in to be around the team, but was not an active player for that cup, if my memory holds. I don't know how that would apply to Datsuk. I don't know sequentially when they came in. I do remember that I had an NHL video game in which I don't think either of those two were very good from those days, which tells me that maybe they were rookies at the time, or or shortly, or like very young players. Um, two kids, though. So, like, that would have to be them. One of them. Not Zetterberg. Larianov, Datsuk. Who else would be a kid? Is it, is it partial credit if I just get one of these, right? Or do I have to get the whole line?
1: I think it's partial credit if you get one okay. of them.
0: But I haven't yet. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you once you finish your answer here, Max. You, it's like Jeopardy, but you get six minutes to answer. Yeah,
0: no, I, I've taken too much time. I'm going to lock <laughs> in Datsuk and Larianov and hope one of them was on that line.
1: So Datsuk was.
0: Okay, excellent.
1: It was Pavel Datsuk, Boyd Devereaux, and okay. Brett Hall.
0: Oh, he's the old goat. Okay. And so then in
1: 2002, 2003, Devereaux drops and Zetterberg joins. And so oh, okay. it's now Datsuk, Zetterberg, and Hall.
0: How but, about that? That's a line.
1: <laughs> that's a line right there for you. Why do you think Brett Hall still scored forty goals in a 01? Yeah, no because no you kidding. got to play with Datsuk as your centerman. Uh there's a great YouTube video, if anyone has not seen it, of Brett Hall talking about Datsuk as literally the most talented player he's ever, you know, played with. And and remember Brett Hall was centered by Gretzky, was centered by Adam Oates. And he's talking about Datsuk as, as the most talented player he's been playing with. And you're, you're just kind of marveling at his skill level. So fun line. Have fond memories of that line. All right, Max. Off to a tough start here. Only one point out of the uh, first two questions.
0: Yep, I can, I can live with it. Let's, let's keep it going.
1: All right. Question three here, though. Red Wings have three players who scored their only career hat trick in the playoffs on a Stanley Cup championship run. Name those players.
0: Darren McCarty. All right. Three players who scored their only career hat trick. As in, they only had one or when they, whenever they had them, they were in the playoffs?
1: They had one career hat trick, and that career hat trick happened in the playoffs on a Stanley Cup team. With that said, do you feel like you need to change your first answer?
0: Yeah, because I think McCarty has had other hat tricks. These are really good. So it's got one of them's got to be a defenseman um, who is capable of scoring a hat trick.
1: Should I make this more fun for you, Max? Why not? None of them are a defenseman.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Let's go then. Similar mold to McCarty, but, uh, Kirk Malpy, um, Joe Koser, and Yuri Hoodler. Should
1: have stuck with McCarty. That oh is my only no! That was career hat trick. Uh, game 1, 2002 Western Conference Finals. Versus Colorado, that is his only career hat trick. Well, I, I had to ask you again just to make (laughs) sure. So, you know, I baited you out of it. You would have never gotten the second one, but it was your answer to the last question. It's Pavel Datsuk. That's his only career hat trick is game three of the 2008 Western Conference Finals versus Dallas. Never scored a hat trick in the regular season. Just scored that hat trick. So
0: I cost uh, myself partial credit. Oh, and then no. the
1: one I didn't think you were going to get was Don Grasso in Game 3 of the 1943 Stanley Cup Finals versus Boston. Yeah, None heard. of them are defensemen. They're all forwards. And two of them have happened in the last 20 years. So, all
0: right, McCarty, So, I, I know McCarty had that hat trick, but, but I just thought – for some reason, I thought he'd had, like, a few in the playoffs. Like, I had him kind of pegged in my head as a guy who – like just would come alive. I mean, I think that still kind of is true. Like he was a pretty good scorer in the He came goals. alive
1: against Patrick Waugh. You know, my favorite yeah. stat is uh, of his 20 career playoff goals, 11 of them are against Patrick Waugh. So, um, but he he only has the one hat trick, at least per, per hockey references uh, database of hat tricks. It is just the one against Colorado.
0: That's a great, great question. All right, on to the next one.
1: Alright, next one. This one probably was a little bit easier, but I could, uh, I, I'll move it down here to four. So often forgotten about when talking about the greatest teams of all time, this team won the Stanley Cup without dropping a single game and outscored their opponents by a margin of 24 to five.
0: The 1954-55 Red Wings.
1: Close, but it is the 51-52 Red Wings. Mm. They swept Toronto, beating them 3-0, 1-0, 6-2, 3-1, and then swept Montreal 3-1, 2-1, 3-0, 3-0. Four shutouts and eight playoff games. Absolutely unreal.
0: It's all, it's all falling apart here in round two.
1: Well, you know, we just had to get to the money category, which is championship teams. So, all right, last question. Stepped it up in difficulty a little bit for
0: ya. I feel so, like I feel like here's like it's like the sabotage of like I, for as long as I've covered the Red Wings I've had to care a lot more about the draft than championships.
1: Well, so here here's the thing my strategy behind this was the draft, that's kind of the uh, the one where I know there's only a finite number of things you can really consider here. So I'll let you have those points, but we're going to bring out the actual questions on on who am I in the championship team. So all right question
0: my round is so easy I'm gonna get murdered in this
1: well thanks you know I haven't doubled up yet so now I know where to go <laughs> All right so question five um, one of my favorite questions here who are the only two players in Red Wing's history to win the Stanley Cup with a game seven overtime game winning goal oh but it's got to be game seven. Game 7, Stanley Cup Finals, overtime, game-winning goal.
0: So I'm trying to think which ones actually went to Game 7. 08 didn't. I don't think 02 did. Uh, 97 and 98 didn't. So I think we're back to the 53, 54, and 54, 55 teams. They both needed seven games, I want to say. But I don't know. Um, Gordy Howe, one of them?
1: He is not.
0: Mm. Alex Delvecchio?
1: He is also not.
0: Okay, lay it on me.
1: Yeah, you weren't going to get these if you didn't get the other ones. So the first one is Pete Babando in 1949-1950 scored 831 into double overtime against the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup. And then Tony Leswick in 1953-1954 scores 429 into the first overtime against Montreal.
0: Thought it would be one of the heavy hitters. So 54-55, right.
1: <laughs> you did. 54-55 did go seven games against Montreal. The game did not go to overtime. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Max walks That's away fair. with one point from the championship teams.
0: Rough. I am technically, though. I'm still up by six points, I think. So even if you get all of them in this round, uh, I'll be ahead. Unless That's you double. That's fair. All right. Are you gonna I am
1: double? not. I am not going to double
0: here. I told you, who am I? You already, yeah. I mean, I was thinking uh, about
1: championship teams, but you, you you let it slip. So you got to play right. the game here. All right. So championship teams.
0: All right. The 2001-02 Red Wings had one of the greatest greatest championship seasons of the modern era, headlined by nine Hall of Famers. Who was the team's leading scorer, and how many points did he have in 80 games?
1: Uh, I believe Brendan Shanahan. I think scored 87
0: points. Okay, so you get one of them there. Uh, he had 75 points. Had less than a point per game. I couldn't believe that that yeah. team with that many Hall of Famers had less than a point per game.
1: Uh, close enough. I'll take my point.
0: Okay. Uh, Detroit acquired Shanahan early in the 96-97 season in a trade with the Hartford Whalers. Name the three assets the Red Wings sent Hartford's way in exchange for Shanahan.
1: Uh, Ray Shepard, Keith Primo, and... Oh, I'm blanking on the third one. I don't got the third one.
0: It was Paul Coffee, Keith Primo, and a first-round pick.
1: Uh, that's right. Shepard wasn't in that deal.
0: Coffee. All right. All right. So you get your point. I'll take my point. Uh This one, this, this is kind of my trick question here. Chris Draper was famously acquired for a dollar in a trade with the Winnipeg Jets in 1993. In 1993, how much did a loaf of bread cost? You You can get within 10% of the answer. I'm not going to hold you down to the pennies.
1: 1993 how much did a loaf of bread cost uh let's go with uh a
0: buck 33 oh you're so close a dollar 57 so you you did not get that correct which I'm very <laughs> grateful for i can't believe Amazing. that he was acquired for less than the cost of a loaf of bread
1: well so the the best the best thing about it was the whole thing was future considerations in the deal right. and, and it wasn't really named and it never was publicly said, and I don't know if you know the story behind it, Max, but I Draper don't. actually, he learned about it from a reporter who basically in a scrum told him that he was traded for a dollar and he didn't believe it and actually went back to management and said, wait, was I really traded for a dollar? And they're like, yeah, I mean, that's what it was. So the, it was always and that labeled as future. The motivation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was always labeled as future considerations and, and no one really ever publicly said what it was until I guess we you know management effectively said yeah we'll take the dollar and then you know the it got down to the reporters and the reporter mentioned it because the reporter basically offhand said not bad for a guy acquired for a dollar and Chris kind of stops him and goes wait what um, so it's a fun story I think it's on uh, if you listen to Darren McCarty's grind time podcast I believe there's an episode he does with. With Draper, where he talks about that story, so it's a, it's a really good one to listen to. I like this. I ask the trivia
0: question, then I actually get to learn something. It's great, yeah. Energy. I gotta give
1: you all the background to it, so yeah,
0: I love it. All right, um, eight Hall of Famers played at some point on each of the Red Wings teams that won consecutive Stanley Cups over the Montreal Canadiens in seven game series in 1953 54 and 54 55. Only six of them had their names on the Stanley Cup for both of those championships. I'll give you the options. Do you want to name all six or do you want to name the three Hall of Famers who were on those teams in some capacity who either did not have their names on either cup or only had their name on one?
1: So wait, repeat the question here. This sounds a little convoluted.
0: Yeah, most of them are. Uh, there were eight (laughs) Hall of Famers on each of the Red Wings Stanley Cup teams in 54 and 55. Eight, but only six were on both of those had their names on both of those Stanley Cups. So I will give you the option to name the six players who did have their name on both Stanley Cups or I'll give you the option to name one of the other three Hall of Famers who was on one of those teams but did not get his name on both Stanley Cups.
1: Um let's see here. Let's go with naming the six that were on both. Okay. All right. So Gordy Howe. Yep. Ted Lindsay. Yep. Uh let's go with Sid Abel.
0: Nope. so that's your wrong one that you can get. All right.
1: Get. All right. Well, then I'll go Alex Delvecchio. Correct. Um Terry Sawchuck. Correct. Um So let's see. I've got 4 now.
0: You got four of them. You got two more.
1: Um, Let's go with. uh, I can't remember if Glenn Hall was on the team yet or not. Um, Red Kelly? Yep. All right, I've got five. Let's see. Last one on those teams. I don't know. I'll take a shot in the dark with Glenn Hall. I don't think he was on both of them, though.
0: He was. He was on one of them. Our, so he, he he would have been your answer for the alternative. All um, right. But you still get the partial credit. The correct answer we we're looking for, the one you're missing, was Anthony Manta's grandfather, Marcel Pronovost. Ah,
1: close enough. Yep. I was uh, I was trying to think if it was another defenseman or another forward, and I don't know. It's close, but all right. I'll take so it. So the I mean, ones you were
0: missing were Glenn Hall, Keith Allen. And Al Arbor, the great coach, was on that. Register. Yeah, there
1: was no way I was going to get the ones that weren't um, off the right. top of my head. So I had to get the ones that were.
0: Yep. All right, All I'll say good.
1: five or six there. Okay.
0: Yep. All right, and then the last one. Gordie Howe was part of 20 playoff runs in his NHL career, winning four Stanley Cups and registering more than a point per game for his whole playoff career. However, in his four... Stanley Cup runs. He only managed to average a point per game in one of those playoffs. How many points did he have in the 11 games that postseason? And I'll give you two points if you can get the year two.
1: Okay, so, I believe he had 20 points. That's correct. Cause he had, this is the year he had nine goals, uh, and 20 points. And, I wanna say it's fifty-four, fifty-five.
0: That's correct. I shouldn't have given right. you the choice to get two.
1: <laughs> it's all right. You know what? I, this one's. Uh, I love my Gordie Howe trivia. So yeah, I mean, I'll give you his whole stat line. I think it was nine goals, eleven points, or eleven assists, twenty points, eleven games played. He had uh, how?
0: Uh, how close is it tied now? That might have just uh, tied the game. I might be an idiot.
1: I think I got five.
0: Okay, so I'm still up by one.
1: So I'll leave you one, but I've got the option to double up my next round. So. That's true. All right. Good All job. Right, Max. That's a, that's a fun one, but I love my championship team. So you ready for your Who Am I's? Yes. I don't know that I went super wild with these, but uh, you know we will see. So the Who Am I's, just to preface this, uh, the way I design my questions is, there are questions about players that are either current or former Red Wings, um, you know. So I, I did try to give you a little bit of a mix to, you know, appeal to your your youthfulness here. So let's start with uh, question one. And again, these are escalating in difficulty. So question one: I hold a couple of Red Wings records, including the most goals scored in a single playoff series, the most points in a single playoff game. And I am one of two Red Wings players to score five goals in a game.
0: Uh, you are Johan Franzen.
1: That is correct. Nine goals in four games against the Avs. Uh, six points against San Jose in 2010. Five goals against Ottawa in 2011. Who? Uh, you know, Max, Just uh, I'm not giving you any bonus points here, but who's the other Red Wing with five goals in a game? No idea. Sergei Fedorov. Oh, uh, Okay. Five goals in 1996. All right. All right. First point for Max. I got to make these a little bit harder. All right. So at the peak of my powers, which was a three-year stretch, I finished in the top 10 in Selkie voting three times. I won the Selkie once, was selected to play for Team Canada at the Olympics, and even received an MVP vote. Who am I? Wow. Wow.
0: Votes for the Selkie in three seasons, but didn't win it. No, won it
1: once. 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 Was top 10 in Selkie voting in three seasons, won it once. This is three consecutive seasons. Uh, Was also selected to play for Team Canada at the Olympics and received a vote for MVP.
0: See, the Canada Olympic one is what's throwing me because that makes me feel like I really should know it. So running through this, it's not Fedorov because he's Russian and he won it multiple times. I like how
1: you get that off of the bat.
0: <laughs> I also would like to make it known that Datsuk is also Russian. And Do you want
1: to you want to weigh in on Lyrianov as well? He
0: is not. Ru- uh, he is Russian. <laughs> he's not Canadian. Um, oh jeez, Okay, Iserman would have made Team Canada more than once and won had to have won MVPs um, so it can't be him same for Gordie Howe Canadian at the height of my powers I feel like this is going to be one of like the guys from like the 50s that he will occasionally tell me about and it might be the guy who we just talked about the other day because he might be testing me but I don't know if the Selkie existed at that time.
1: All right, what you got, Max? Uh,
0: I don't know if I got anything. (laughs) Remember, this is Is question two. I know. Are you Pete Mahavlich?
1: You are not.
0: You are Chris Draper. Oh,
1: I should have got that. So Draper wins the Selkie in 2003-2004, he's 6th in 5 06. he's 8th in 6 07. he plays for Team Canada in 2006, and he got an MVP vote in 2003-2004.
0: The MVP vote derailed me on that, I was thinking of, of more like goal scorers who would have had a couple of really good defensive seasons. He got
1: one singular MVP vote, but he got a vote for MVP in 2003-2004. Oh,
0: that's such a good one, damn it. It's,
1: uh, you know, well, I, I, if I had to ask you a question, I can't just say who's traded for a dollar. That's the easy one. I got to, no, I, you know, I know, I, gotta I know. I got to give you the challenging part here to get him. Yeah. No,
0: it's, that's great. That's a great one.
1: All right. So, um, this is question number three. So while, uh, so basically over the last 30 years, I hold the record for the most points scored in a single game with eight
0: most points scored in a single game with eight read the first part of the question again
1: so over the last 30 years i hold the record for the most points scored in a single game with eight
0: did i do it as a red wing
1: you did not do it as a red wing sam gagne that is correct sam gagne four goals four assists eight points against chicago most points scored in a game since Mario Lemieux in 1988. All right, good work there, Max. I figured I uh, would trip you up a little bit with your uh, early 2010 knowledge, but
0: you, you managed I to that that. away. I, I vaguely remember from when they traded for Gagne, stumbling across the fact that he had like a crazy game. Like
1: I know, and I couldn't I couldn't mention any of the OHL stats because you know from all the times that I've talked right, about how exactly. he's on that list. You're going to get that, so all right, fair enough. There's a, another point for Max, so uh, two points so far. All right, going to have to step up some difficulty here. All right, so as a rookie, I scored a goal at 1630 of the sixth overtime to end the longest playoff game in NHL history. Who am
0: I? As a rookie, this might be Mickey Redmond. Because I remember him telling me a story about like how he was a rookie and he was just basically opening the door and the coach basically put him out there because everyone else was just so tired and I think he scored. Was it Mickey Redmond?
1: It is not. It's oh. actually Mud Brunito in 1936. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he actually was called up to the Red Wings two weeks prior. Was still trying to figure out how to play. They're playing the Montreal Maroons. And he scores at 16:30 of the sixth overtime so they basically played 116 and a half minutes of oh overtime and he scores then it's the first that's game one of the series so uh, it's games
0: one through three
1: yeah basically so Mud Brunetel, answer to one of my favorite trivia right. questions of the longest overtime
0: game that's a good one
1: all right last but not least. A number of great goalies have played for the Detroit Red Wings. Out of all of them, I hold the record for the best save percentage in a single season with a minimum of 25 games played.
0: Oh, God. I feel like I'm being trapped.
1: (laughs) You should always think it's a trap. Dominic Hasek? That is not correct. It is glenn Hall. Okay, and that's why 1956 you for,
0: for and that. 1957.
1: Well, that's I knew amazing him also because for
0: that era, by the way, yeah, for that era, right. to have a safe percentage like that.
1: That's exactly right. So per Hockey Reference, they have a safe percentage listed at 928. Max, would you like to know who the runner-up is? Sure. Jimmy Howard, 927. Wow. So that's great. That is great. So in 2016-2017, Jimmy Howard had a 9.27 save percentage. So uh, either way, that would have been a fun one to to get if I could have had it as him. The best part about all of this is Jack Adams, the Red Wings uh, general manager at the time, traded Glenn Hall after this season. So, um, And this was right after the year prior he traded Terry Sawchuk after winning the Vezina and the Stanley Cup. So uh, Trader Jack, as he was uh, known.
0: There you go. All right. All right. So you're at uh eight. I'm at 11. And I'm doubling up here. So you only need to get two of mine correct to take the title.
1: That is correct.
0: All right. Are you Let's ready?
1: See. Let's see if I can do it.
0: All right. Other than Larry Ori, I am the only Red Wing to ever wear number six because he was my cousin.
1: Oh, shoot. I should know this. Number six. Oh, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. I am not, no matter how long I think about this, I don't think I'm going to pull it out. What you got yeah, I don't think you
0: are either. Cummy Burton?
1: That's a name that, honestly, they used to bring up on the broadcast when they would talk about retiring Larry Ori's jersey, but...
0: Right. No, that is one I do not have in me. All right. Um, I may have garnered most of my fame for another team. But I'm a Hall of Famer drafted by the Red Wings who remains the franchise's all-time points-per-game leader to this day at 1.18. And that's points with the Red Wings.
1: That's points with the Red Wings, 1.18. Yep. And
0: he said garnered... Most of his fame for other teams.
1: All right. Let's see here. It's a good question, Max. Um, and I sh- I'll say
0: it wasn't other teams. It was one other team. Is where where he's most famous for?
1: All right, let me throw. Well, I don't know a random one like a Pete Mahovlich.
0: No. No. Who you got? That is Marcel Dion. We've talked about him Marcel in this. Uh, in this show. Yeah, I just
1: didn't. I didn't think of him in his first four years yeah. with the Red Wings that he uh, he was that, he he was that, that dynamite still.
0: I can't believe they would let him go at that point. Like a guy, you you draft a guy second overall. He puts up one point one eight points per game, and it's like and you decide to
1: deal him. Yeah, right. Enough. (laughs) All right, time to come up clutch. You need
0: two of the last three. All right, let's see what I got. I don't have as many career goals as Luke Robitaille, who shared my number with the Red Wings, but I did have back to back fifty goal seasons, and I'm still the franchise leader in goals per game.
1: A little bingo, bango, Mickey Redman here. Nailed it. Yeah,
0: it's number 20. All right, moment of truth. Like many of my teammates on the Red Wings Stanley Cup teams of the late 90s and 2000s, I was drafted in 1989 in the third round. Who am I?
1: Uh, third round should be Nick Littstrom.
0: Sorry. Like many of my Red Wings teammates, I was drafted... In the late nineties and or I was drafted in 89 in the third round, uh, but not for the Red Wings. I'll clarify oh. that and give you a second chance.
1: <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. All right. So drafted in the third round, um, but played for the late nineties, early 2000 Red Wings is what, that's what you're yes. saying with your question.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the hint. Cause I don't want to just ask you. I was drafted in the third round in 89. So he All was right. a Red Wing of those teams. He was in that same draft in that same round as Lidstrom. Yeah, uh,
1: I want to say it's Kirk Malty.
0: You want to say it, or are you saying it?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I think he was drafted third round by Edmonton in 89.
0: Let me see if that's true, because it might be.
1: I don't actually know. I'm, I'm spitting here. It's
0: I'm... it's not the answer that I have down, but it, if it's true, I guess I should probably give you the credit, right? <laughs> it is not true. All right. Uh, Kirk Maltby was not. The answer is Chris Draper. Oof. Swing and a miss. All right. Alright, so it's all down to this. I'm up by one point. You can get two points for getting this correct.
1: Alright, I'm ready for it.
0: I saved more pucks than anyone in the history of the franchise. Just 30 shy of 14,000 for my career.
1: Alright, so this is basically the longest running goaltender for the Red Wings.
0: I'm gonna go with Jimmy
1: Howard. That's correct. Yeah. Because Osgood didn't face enough shots. That's a good one. Osgood was like the answer you want to say because he played nine years, but those teams were too good. He he only faced 20 shots a night. And
0: Sawchuck played a ton (laughs) of games, but in an era where there were fewer shots.
1: And we don't even know if they were all recorded, so... Your answer could could very well have been sawcheck, but we don't even know if they captured everything. But it's a good test, Max. You you brought out the big guns there.
0: I was really glad you decided to double for that round because it was only ever possible to get two points. Like there were right. so many multi point answers. If you'd have doubled on championship teams, this has been this would have been over before the round even started.
1: And and that's honestly what I was thinking about doing until you kind of let slip. So you kind of baited me into going into the the who am yeah, I? Was I thought if I my, could. My, run, my,
0: I was getting my McCarty's revenge.
1: I was going to say because if I could just uh, if I could have run the whole who am I and taken my ten points, I would have. But man, the championship teams is where the money's at. I know those teams backwards and forwards. So well yeah. played, well played. You got to pull out what you can to keep it close.
0: Yeah, well, all right. In the end, you win by a score of twelve to eleven. Well done, uh, well played, and I, that was really fun. I I, uh, I really enjoyed putting that together.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a good challenge also for those of you out there looking to, to reminisce on some of these teams and learn a little bit more information on some of these, uh, random Red Wings facts that I've had stashed in my head for, a, you know, who knows how long they've been stuck there. So, uh, lots of fun. See how much, mo- how many of you know and let us know if you were able to, to outscore Max or I, um, with our, with our questions.
0: Yeah, let us know, uh, if, if you were playing along at home, maybe we should have said something like this at the beginning of the show, I don't know, but if you're playing along at home and you got, you, uh, you know, you did really well, let us know how you did and the highest number that I hear, um, please be honest, but I'll, I'll find some kind of prize or something for you. I like it. Yeah. All right. All right. Sounds good. Shall we go to, uh, we do have some questions today. If you, if you're down for that, I know we've already basically hit our hour, but
1: it's all good. Let's take some questions.
0: All right. Um, Tori Harrington asks, what is the ideal fourth line? Is it grinders, grit and penalty killers, young and sheltered players, power play specialists who don't need a lot of even strength time? What's kind of your ideal composition of a fourth line? Yeah, I mean
1: this is a great question, and you'll honestly see NHL GMs are super conflicted on what the ideal fourth line should look like. I think there's not one right answer here. I think ultimately it does need to fit a little bit to what you know the the team needs my personal belief is this is where you can kind of stash your your higher skilled players that maybe are not as sharp defensively um and you don't need them to see as much ice time but you want to take advantage of their skills in you know ad in certain scenarios you know a guy that i think of as a great example of this is the thomas vanek like uh, by the end of his career he was an outstanding Passer, great playmaker, terrible defensive forward. So the more minutes he was out there, he was going to give up more than he gave you. But if you're able to to really shelter him and protect him and put him in these nice situations and then throw him out on the power play where he can use his vision uh, to create passing lanes, then you're going to get more than you give up with a guy like that. So my personal belief is kind of constructing a roster with those types of players on your fourth line. Um, as well as using kind of the younger guys uh, who are on entry level contracts maybe a little bit cheaper to again help you kind of manage your your salary cap. but i I do think the NHL should move away and and Stanley Cup winning teams in particular should move away from the stereotypical uh, checking penalty killer that doesn't really offer you a lot, you know offensively because if you know coaches are tempted to match those guys against the other team's best lines, and what ends up happening is now those guys are playing twenty minutes. They're giving you nothing offensively, and they're just they're trying to survive and keep their heads above water defensively.
0: Yeah, I, I think I have kind of a boring or annoying take on this, but it it just depends on like what you have, you know. Like at the end of the day, yes, you, at some point you are acquiring players um, to be in your fourth line, but I think if you're making a priority of like you know, building your team around like, I mean, not, not around a fourth line, but like if you're thinking too much about your fourth line and roster construction, I think you can get into trouble with it. Like at the end of any given day, you look at like what a fourth line often looks like. Yeah. A lot of it is often it's your penalty killers and it's your kind of your grinders, your checkers, because you have those guys on your team. But when like team Canada builds their Olympic roster, they still have all stars on the fourth line. So it's not like there's something inherent about it being the fourth line. That means it has to be a specific type of player, right? Like um, I, I think if, if we're using the definition of fourth line as being like the guys who get the fewest minutes – then, yeah, I think that makes it on most teams the natural place to put your penalty killers and your young players who are breaking into the league, like, like, I'm talking very young, not like your 22, 23 year olds, but like your 20, 21 year olds. Um, I think it's natural because you can bring them along slowly. They can get some ice time. And then as, as they seem comfortable and like they're not going to make huge mistakes, then you quickly move them up so they can play with the kind of skilled players who will get the most out of them. Um, you know, like Michael Rasmussen was a perfect example of this a couple of years ago playing on a century the fourth line, he was kinda of learning what the NHL was like. So I think it was the right call to have him on the fourth line. Um but if Michael Rasmussen's on the team next year, you know, I I think it would be a mistake to play him more than like a third to a half of the season on the fourth line if you can avoid it when you can when you're able to kind of play him in more um you know, with more skilled players, even though he does project as the kind of tough, physical, strong defensive player, like I think you ideally want him more on the third line where, you know, one of his great traits is playing at the net front. In order for that to be an advantage at all, you have to have him playing with someone who's going to get the puck to the net, someone else who's going to get the puck to the net, right? So um, it, it depends on what you have though, right? Like on the Red Wings, I would say your best fourth line right now is it's a place to put someone like Franz Nielsen. Um, it's a place that you can put someone like Evgeny Svechnikov next year or Giovanni Smith as they're kind of breaking into the league. Um And it's a great spot to put one of Darren Helm or Luke Glendening, who are kind of your prime penalty killers. The other one probably is going on the third line um, to play kind of a, it, it is kind of, I guess, a checking role, but also a forechecking role. And I think that gets forgotten when people talk about grinders, is they're not just defensive checkers, they're forecheckers too. And, and you need that. You need guys who can go win the puck. So it depends on your roster, is the boring answer, but I think in some composition those are the types of players you want, and I don't think it's all one, and I certainly don't think it's all uniform across all teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, all teams can't go uniform, you know, as of right, you know, right now, just because you, there's not that kind of distribution of skill. But I mean, if you're thinking about a team like St. Louis, which has done a really good job, I mean, they've got guys like Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist on their bottom line, where these are players right. that are a little bit more talented than your typical fourth-line player, but they're able to trot those guys out. I mean, even guys like Rob Thomas and, and Sammy Blase and Jordan Kyrou have even worked their way up um, over the last couple of years Like as they're getting more time in St. Louis. And those are those 20-, 21-, 22-year-olds like you're talking about, Max, that – uh, you know, that's a perfect spot to kind of break them in and build them up as they, as they start growing.
0: Yeah. And you think about like, let's say everything goes absolutely perfect for the Red Wings over the next two, three years and they win the lottery and they get Alexi Lafreniere, right? Then you're looking at lines where it's like Larkin, Lafreniere, Mantha, uh, Zadina, Valeno, Bertuzzi, um, who am I missing here? Phil, I guess, I guess Filipula's contract will be up after a year. Uh, Rasmussen, Fabry, Jonathan Berggren hits. Then your fourth line might be something like Robert Mastro-Simone and uh, who else am I missing here on the wings? Giovanni Smith. Uh, yeah, I mean Berggren. Right. Well, Berggren I put on the third line. There. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, but a guy like Giovanni Smith, you know, a great player to play there. Svechnikov right. still around. He's another guy that can play there. So. Right.
0: But like a Robert Mastro Simoni, I wouldn't say he's like what you would call a fourth line player. I think he's like a middle six player. Uh, but if, if you have enough talent where you can put him on the fourth line, that's awesome. That's the dream. You want to be the Olympic team that's rolling out like, you know, whoever, whoever Canada's fourth line center is in the Olympics. What's it? It's like Ryan O'Reilly or something, you know? Like they're, they're all stars, you know? They're Selkie winners, whatever. That's great. You want to be in that position. You're just almost never going to be as an NHL team. So then it's about, you know, who do you want to have your fourth line minutes? And I think that's kind of the what the determining factor, what your roster yeah. is and who you want to have the minutes.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: All right. Um Eric Clinton says, is there any scenario you can see where the Red Wings draft Jamie Drysdale, it seems like a no-brainer to him that they need to grab a forward, but he's curious on our thoughts on that subject.
1: Um, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I don't, there's cert- it's certainly in the realm of possibility, right? Like he's a, he's a very talented defenseman. He's the most talented defenseman in this draft. You know, if the team feels that that's the need, uh, and th- he's the best player on their board, then yeah, that's a scenario where they're going to take him. I think more realistically, um, the scenario where I envision them doing that is if hypothetically the NHL decides that we're going to stick with the, the same format, Detroit picks fourth. You're sitting at four, and potentially the the one, two, three guys go off of Detroit's board, and they don't necessarily see a huge difference between a Drysdale um, and potentially the guy they have at number four on their board. And so maybe one thing they consider doing is they consider trying to trade back a couple of spots because, again, you know, as you and I have talked about, Max, uh, a lot of the players in that four through nine range are relatively comparable to each other uh such that I don't think there's a huge difference and if there is a team willing to you know pay the price whether it's a, a Montreal a Buffalo a New Jersey or a, a Chicago that that wants to try and jump up behind Detroit uh, then yeah maybe you trade down and you end up with Jamie Drysdale anyways but I don't think Detroit outright keeps their pick and picks Drysdale but you never know what their board looks like
0: I tend to agree, but I also think – like th- what I think the the real enticing idea there is the Kings are a team that really needs um defensemen. And so if you're picking at four and the Kings are at let's say six – that seems to me like almost a prime trade down scenario where you're going to move back two spots. You've got a bunch of guys in that tier who, you know, you and I think are all pretty close. So let's say, you know, it, it the draft starts and it's like Ottawa picking at one of the spots and two teams have moved up, you know new jersey and somebody you know whatever anaheim um and then the red wings are at four and then it's the other auto pick in los angeles uh i think you're i think you'd be fine to move back two spots there pick up another pick i think la's got some pretty good draft capital they've also got some pretty good prospects um so that is a scenario where i think you would the 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 best scenario at that point would be moving back uh so someone else can move up and trade uh take drysdale but I will say, I don't think it would stun me if the Red Wings sat there and took Drysdale. He's a really good player. Iserman, um, invested heavily in defensemen in last year's draft. Uh, and so to me, that says that they think that there's like a, a, a real, I mean, I know it's probably not drafting for need, but there's a real value to stocking up on your defensemen through the draft. They're hard to find and Drysdale, you know, projects as kind of a top pair defenseman. I don't think you can ever, you know, look that in the face and say, no, I don't need it, you know, so uh, it would not stun me, but I just think that, you know, especially when you consider that next year's draft is is very defense heavy at the top, uh, I think a forward is more likely.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's just, it'll be, a, it'll be a tough decision. And I think a trade back scenario is what makes it more of a reality.
0: Yep, 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 I agree. All right, uh Austin Johansson says, hypothetically, which of these scenarios would be most beneficial to the Red Wings? Larkin becoming a perennial Selkie candidate, Manta becoming a perennial Rocket Richard candidate, Cider becoming a perennial Norris candidate, or uh someone like Lafreniere becoming a perennial Art Ross candidate? And he put lafreniere in parentheses with a question mark so i assume he means just like some one of the other topics whether it i mean who knows it could be zadina it could be whoever they take in the first round this year but just like getting a perennial art ross uh, as the alternative there
1: yeah i mean from my standpoint it's it's sort of tough i think when you view this question um, obviously two-way play is is huge a lot more than points matters so it's really important that the player uh, not only scores but also provides you uh, with good overall hockey in both directions. And so Larkin being a sulky candidate is obviously a, a perfect situation that if he's going to maintain his scoring pace where he's at right now while also being recognized as one of the best defensive forwards in the league, I think that's huge. There's very few players like that. I mean, you're talking about Ryan O'Reilly, Stanley Cup champion, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Stanley Cup champion, and there's not really a whole lot of other ones that are in the center position, and the Wings have been missing that since... Henrik Zetterberg and, and Pavel Datsuk, um, you know, have since uh, retired and left. So uh, I think that's a huge development for Detroit because right now they are kind of missing that elite two-way kind of center that can do all of that. I think obviously Mantha being a rocket reshared candidate is is huge if that's a possibility. Um, he's already a great two-way player at the wing. Sider being a Norris candidate would be huge for the wings just where they're at because of uh, kind of the lack of top-end defensive prospects. Um, and then obviously if you bring in a guy like Lafreniere, I think that completely changes the game. But at the end of the day, I think you need multiple guys that can be uh, in contention for their, uh, their respective awards at their position.
0: Yeah. Um, All right. So my take on this is I look at the question and I think, what is, what, what would you like to kind of guarantee here? Um, And so kind of incumbent in that is, like, I already think Dylan Larkin is going to be a perennial Selkie candidate within a couple years. I mean, it was it was hard, I think, to get any momentum on a team as bad as they were this year. But when you look at the underlying numbers, especially kind of midway through the year, you know, I don't know how it would have worked with Selkie-wise, just because the the team was bad. You know, there were goals going in the net and all that stuff. I thought his defensive play was really, really good this year. And maybe not, like, Selkie winner level, but I think, like, I think it was kind of like showing that that is his future, is that to, a guy who's going to be able to play at that level. So I take that almost as like I'm going to take that one off the table because I already think he's going to be someone who's going to get Selkie votes many, many years in his career. Um, it, you know, who knows if they win or if he wins, but you know what I mean. Um, the the Rocket Rashard one I think is. You yeah, know, that tells you he's like a perennial 40 to 50 goal scorer. That's a pretty big deal. But again, like, I already think he's in the 30s. So do you want to take that 20, that bump in the 20s? Um, Cider, I think the, the Norris is more compelling to me because it, he's still a bit of a unknown at the NHL level, though I do think he's going to be a rock. A Norris, based on how the Norris voting goes, tends to mean there's a lot of offense there too. So that tells me like, okay, if you're going to guarantee more at Cider is going to be like an Alex Petrangelo type, um or even you know on the upside of that like a Victor Hedman that's a game changer and the same deal for the Art Ross because that's taking a complete unknown where it's not a player like Larkin or Mantha where i think you can always kind of safely project that they're going to be if not you know that that level i don't think mantha's a rocket richard winner um in his career but you know he I'm not saying it's impossible either. Like, there were times this season where he scores like it. There have been many times in his career where he scored like someone who, if they stayed, you know, healthy and consistent, it could happen. And I think same for Larkin on Selkie. So I would narrow it down to one of those two. Either Sider as, as a Norris or, uh, or, uh, a, you know, an undefined player being the Art Ross. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you frame it that way, I think Sider being the Norris player is probably the biggest right. Biggest new thing that then solidifies the Red Wings, you know, rebuild plan because you're still getting a top four pick, still adding a guy like that. You still have the development kind of plans of of Larkin and Mantha and and those guys, but really Cider being a Norris player is the the biggest unknown. Uh, I think we're out there right now.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that would, I think that, that's the way I'm leaning too, but I think when you factor in the fact that you don't even know where the rubbings are going to pick in this draft, um, so, I mean, having an Art Ross winner is obviously a game changer. Those guys are always some of the very best players in the league. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. How many more of these do you want to do? We have a lot today, so we can bank some for next time.
1: Uh, however many you want to get to, Max. All
0: right. Let's do two more. Um, the first one is, from Cody and it's kind of a long one Cody Stark redraft the last 10 years of Red Wings first and second round picks pick and say the same if you liked it or change to someone else who went after a said pick
1: yeah I mean last 10 years uh has been miserable for Detroit from a drafting standpoint and again a lot of that has to do with kind of where the the Red Wings picked over the years um you know it's not necessarily the best situation uh, always particularly in the early parts of the 2010s like there wasn't a lot but if you want to go back to and just kind of start at 2010 uh, and if you're looking at a redraft right there obviously in 2010 the wings take riley shahan at at 21st overall uh, you know three picks after that you have kevin hayes go outstanding forward uh, a couple Good picks after off. that Right, you have you know Evgeny Kuznetsov, and then at the end of the first round, you obviously have Brock Nelson. So, you know, there's some huge misses there. Justin Falk goes later. Tyler Toffoli goes later, um, you know, in the second round there. So I think, obviously, the first guy I'm looking at over here is probably Kevin Hayes. I think he he does a little bit more for you um, from a two-way standpoint compared to Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov is obviously really, really talented, scores a lot. But I think I'd probably take Kevin Hayes... Um, you know, from this draft here, uh, and then if you're looking, I think that year, if you're looking at the Red Wings second round pick, um, I think they take Kelly uh, Yarnkrock at 51st overall. Who, um, to be quite honest, not a bad player to take at 51st overall. Um, but again, the the real big miss here is that you know Mark Stone obviously goes 178. I don't think anyone knew that no. he was going to go that late or be in that. Realm, but maybe John Klingberg's a more reasonable one who goes 131st. Jason yep. 59th. Jason Sucker is 59. He's a little bit closer there. Uh, Radko Gudis is, is 66th, but you know, Cali Yarncrack's not a bad pick there relative to, to what else ended up going. Uh, Brian Rust is another guy who's in there as well that you could consider. Nick Bustad, um, no, sorry, Bustad's a 19th, not a, not second round. So I think that's kind of how I think about 2010. 2011's also, you know, a challenge We yeah, didn't have a first. Right, you don't have and, a first here. But you still take Thomas Yurko, who, again, I think at the time, most of us thought he was uh, going to be a really good player. He was an insanely talented player. But two picks later, there goes Boone Jenner. And so you, you kind of think about it, and that's rough. And a few picks after that, there goes Brandon Saad. Uh, John and, Gibson. Right, John Gibson. And the Wings actually had three second-round picks. And they went Thomas Yurko, Xavier Roulette, and Ryan Sproul. And so when you're missing names like, you know, Kucherov. Brandon Saad, Kucherov, um, you know, William Carlson, John Gibson, that was a big kind of swing and a miss for them there. Let's, uh, let's just,
0: I don't know I don't know if I want to go through all 10 of these. Cause was, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it
1: basically, I think you can sum up moral of the story is the wings had a lot of swings and misses in the, in the early parts of the 2010s. Then swung and missed as their pick started to move up a little bit more in 16 and 17, or really 15, 16, 17, and ultimately that's kind of why they're where they're at now. And I think you could go through every draft and ultimately find guys that the Wings should have taken. But again, hindsight's 2020 here.
0: I'm not ready to write off 16 yet. 16, they got Chalowski and Horonic, and I know you know Chelkowski had a had a rough year, but if you end up with two guys who play in your top. I don't know. Let's say Chelaski's a four-five. Play in your top, you know, five defensemen in one draft class. I still think that's a good draft.
1: Yeah, I think it'll always. I know come the attached... thing happening. Right. But... It'll always come attached to the chicken thing, and it'll also come attached to the fact that, like, you know, Sam Girard goes at the end of the second round, and and he was a guy that really had first-round talent, I think, and and could have gone in the first round. Obviously, Adam Fox goes later. Um, you know, at the top of the third round. And so there are a lot of other defensemen that were missed uh, in this class as well. Yeah.
0: Yep. All right. So then we'll just go to the last one um, from Kyle. And and before I do, we should clarify. Whenever we go through, like, old drafts like this, like, they're not – people seem to take them as criticism or, like, we're saying that – you know, they should have known this and all this stuff. It's not really what we're saying. You can look in hindsight. I think it's fun for people to kind of daydream. And, and sometimes there are legit misses that, you know, look what was available one or two picks later, you know, who knows what happened. But we're not saying, you know, oh, like who, you know, how could they have not have understood this at the time? Because drafting is incredibly hard. And there's incredibly small margins uh on draft day that can grow to be massive uh years later. So we're not Sitting here from you know ten, ten years hindsight, saying what idiots could possibly have taken you know Riley Shea and over whoever all those names we listed, it's it's just looking back and and seeing you know who else was on the board. I do think it goes to show too, you know there there's not a ton of players in every draft who end up being. Um, incredible players. It's not like there's four, five, six rounds deep of superstars. Uh, but it does show you how you can find a superstar in, in late in the second round, in, you know, in like almost every draft. And I think that's a, an interesting point to note too. In a draft, the Red Wings have three second round picks.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically that's why the, the mantra has always been give yourself as many shots at the dartboard because. Right. There, there are gems, really, all the way throughout.
0: All right, and then last one. Um, Kyle wants to know, what term and value would you define as a win for the Red Wings when it comes to signing Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi this summer? Both of them are RFAs.
1: Yeah, I think term for Mantha is you get seven or eight. I think yeah. that's a win. Um, and then if you get them under seven million, I think that's a huge win. Um, for Detroit and I think Bertuzzi I don't know that I'd quite stretch him into the 7-8 territory but I think you know 5-6 would be a good win for Detroit if he's willing to kind of take that intermediate term deal and then I think for him if you get him under um uh, like under 5 million really under 4.75 I think you did uh, did a really solid job
0: yeah Um and this is a tough one because we don't know what the cap is going to be right like and there was. I'm just time... am presuming it's the same. So yeah. Because... So if it's if it's 81.5, I guess. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. So yeah, if it's 81.5, I think it's a little lower than what I might have even been expecting a couple months ago, where I thought Mantha's deal probably was going to stretch into the into the high sevens even potentially. Um, but if it stays the same, I think if you can get Mantha. I definitely think you don't want to go any lower than, like, six years with him. I I, I think he's hitting his stride, and I know that, you know, if you want – I guess if you want to go five, that's fine. But don't let him go to free agency before you've really even opened your window, right? Like, if we don't think the Red Wings are going to open their contention window for another, what do we think, three years minimum? I guess it depends what happens. Yeah, in the draft at least ladders. three years. Then, like, you know, why put yourself in a position where – You know, you're gonna have Anthony Mantha coming off the books right after, at the same, around the same time this year's first round picks will be, right? And potentially right as you're starting to get good. So, I think he's shown a lot. I think you sign him for six, seven, or eight years, and I think if you, if the cap is flat, you wanna do it right around seven. And if it goes up, I think you go up to like 7.5 and have that be fine. I mean, by, I forget what it was when I did the story about what their next contracts, um, looked like, but I know for sure Dom's model has Mantha generating well above that. I think he has him generating like over nine million dollars of like value a year, just to give yeah. you kind of a a frame of reference. So no, you don't want to sign him for nine million a year because one of the advantages of drafting a guy and having him be an RFA in your system is that you don't have to pay kind of quote unquote market value. But if if Dom has him generating nine million dollars a year of value and you sign him for like seven point nine. I don't think that means you've had a disastrous outcome.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I, I think, again, you know, the biggest thing for Mantha is going to be getting him to that term that you... For sure. Um, and, you know, you shouldn't be worried about the injuries with him. I think you just got to go for it here.
0: Yeah. So so, what would be a win? I agree. I think it's like anything in the low sevens or below seven for a long-term deal. Yeah. Agreed. But what's But what's palatable is even bigger than that. Like you can still go bigger and have it be like, yeah, okay, you know?
1: Yeah, and he'll be the um, highest paid player on the team and that's fine.
0: Right. And Bertuzzi on that same front, um and although I will say I do think th- this being these being Izerman's kind of first big negotiations as Red Wings GM makes for a very interesting backdrop. Like presumably you you think he's going to want to establish some kind of, you know, the old uh, not so hard hard cap or, or kind of like a standard of what, you know, what it means to to sign an extension. Right? Like, I, I assume, isn't, I mean, in Tampa, the cap deals are, are all lower than what you would kind of project for those guys on the open market. Right down to Kutrov, yeah. who's their highest paid player at like nine and a half million, he could be more than a ten million dollar player. He's got a heart trophy. Um, so I do wonder how that affects things. Like, does that, does that keep things down a little bit maybe from, you know, where we're thinking?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's probably why you want to say, you know, I think right now you have to project it as if this is a neutral GM coming in and doing it, but I think Iserman gets you numbers that are lower than this.
0: He certainly seems to have so far, but we don't know how things like Florida's income tax situation play into that. And, you know, there are factors there that are beyond just his negotiation style or the, or the culture. Like there are many factors at play. Um, on to Bertuzzi, Dom has his market value at like six. So yeah, I I would tend to agree. You want that in the fives. Um, and if you get it below five, it's a win. Yep. Yep, and I agree, midterm, five, five, six six years. Um, all right, I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys very much for listening. I know we went a little longer today, but we really appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed the trivia, and hopefully you are uh, still supporting your local businesses and restaurants. Make sure you get some takeout this weekend, and uh, make sure you tune back in early next week when we return for our next episode. Stay on uh, on draft alert, though. I know I don't need to tell you guys to do that. Take care.